Stand with me and let's read from 1 Samuel chapter 8. Follow along as I read this passage of Scripture from 1 Samuel 8. The people of Israel desire a king. Hear these words now from 1 Samuel 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn son was Joel, and the name of the second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a judge, a king to judge us, like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. From being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only shall you solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to be his horsemen, to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow the ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel has heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we thank you for this word. Your word comes with power and boldness to us today. 
we are probably not so different from these people. We want different things for our own selves. We desire, we grasp, we covet. Lord, how often we find ourselves wanting to be just like everyone else around us. Lord, teach us to be a people of your possession. Teach us to be a holy people. Teach us, Lord, to follow in your ways, to seek what you want. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd be today with Brother Andrew as he brings to us from this passage of Scripture a message that comes to us from you. May it challenge our hearts even today. Teach us to walk in your ways, O Lord Jesus, we pray. All this now, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've mentioned Pentecost this morning. We've mentioned Memorial Day. How about we give a nod to graduation season? Uh, it's graduation season. I think some of you have probably been invited to open houses, going to visit those. You've maybe attended a graduation. Um, there was an article recently about the most common graduation advice. Uh, have any idea? Most common graduation advice? Get a job. Start paying for your own way. I think I've used that advice. Uh, now, the most common graduation advice is follow your passions. Uh, very uh, 21st century Western of us there. Uh, follow your passions. The interesting thing in this particular article, which was not written from a Christian standpoint at all, the, uh, the authors of the article were a little dismayed because when the, the research was done about what those passions were, they found that for most people, the passions were very stereotypical with regards to society. Women wanted to make art and help people. Men wanted to do science and play sports, uh, which uh, just caused these authors to lament that our passions lead, largely lead us to conform to the world around us. Uh, and we see that here in First Kings chapter, or First Kings, First Samuel chapter eight, don't we? As the the passions of the people of Israel at this point in their history are to be like all the other nations. There is this draw that we have as humanity, uh, God's people, as well as the world around us, to look around. Uh, to see what everybody's doing, and then to inform ourselves uh, in those ways and to walk in those ways. I want to walk through this passage with you this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 8. You've probably seen there seems to be a little bit of pattern so far to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel uh, Chapter 1, we, we see Hannah, and then chapter 2, her prayer, and we've said that it's somewhat of a template for the book 
uh, of Samuel, her song, her prayer. And then uh, chapter 3, we see God calling Samuel. It's a good moment in the book to be his prophet, and the Lord establishes his words in all of Israel. Chapters 4 to 6, bad time for Israel. Uh, they want to look to the ark as a talisman, and we have this great loss at Ebenezer 1, and the ark goes into Philistia, captivity. Uh, they, they feel the presence of God apart from them in that time. 1 Samuel chapter 7 that we looked at last week is a time of, of great renewal, of great victory. Ebenezer 2, God fights for His people as His people humble themselves, they look to God, they repent, they, they lay themselves out before God, and it's a, a time of great renewal. Here we are now in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and things are going in the other direction again. It's important to note the times. We've sort of uh, mentioned that as we've been going. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we have Samuel as probably a teenager. 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel is a little bit older. Uh, maybe another generation has gone by, generation being 20 years. Uh, now here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and another generation has gone by. We're told that Samuel is old. And we realize that, you know, generation by generation, we see some of these same patterns uh, emerge again. We see a need for repentance, all of these these different things. So it's helpful for us to remember that even though they're coming back to back in these chapters, there's a period of time, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. You know, Jerry mentioned that, you know, a generation ago people thought one way about Memorial Day. Do people still think the same way about that? Well, we haven't seen war like did with regards to Second World War, and we don't always think about things the same way, but God is still working generation by generation, and, and things become clear. What becomes clear here is that the right longings of the people of Israel uh, produce or lead to uh, wrong solutions uh, that are going to be dependent on God's gracious intervention. So how do we see that in this chapter? Let's walk through it. What are the right longings? As I've said, a generation has gone down the road. Samuel is getting older, and uh, he can no longer judge the entire nation of Israel, and so he appoints his sons to be judges for him. Uh, they are judges, I think, in Beersheba uh, in the south. Uh, Samuel is in Ramah, which is more in the north. So it's about 50 miles, uh, which doesn't sound big for us. Go to Lansing, go to Kalamazoo, we can get there in less than an hour, but that was a big deal in those days uh, to travel by foot or by donkey, and there was no FaceTime or anything like that. And, and what was happening there as Samuel's boys were apart from Samuel is they were not walking in his ways. 
Uh, and this is just really sad for us because we saw this with Eli, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. A little bit different. They were right under Eli's nose, and they were sleeping with women. They were taking bribes, perverting justice, all of the, the same… Well, some of the same things that we see Samuel's sons doing, but here, here Samuel's sons are, are doing this uh, as well. And, and some of you really feel this because we, we have sons and daughters that as they grow, they, they don't walk with the Lord. They don't value the Word of the Lord, uh, maybe like we value the Word of the Lord. So it's a rough thing. I, I know that talk to many of you, and there's one of the greatest sadnesses that we experience is, is when we see that. You know, how do we judge Samuel? How do we judge Eli? I think the Scripture judges them a little bit differently, and I think that's probably appropriate because not every situation is the same. Uh, parents can be faithful and still have children that, that walk away from the Lord. When the Scriptures say in Proverbs, you know, uh, raise them up. How, how's it go? Yes, whatever you guys said. Uh, <laughs> Weird how things run out of your mind sometime. And, and when they are old, they will not depart from it, right? So, the, it's not a promise. It's a, it's a proverb. It's saying there is a, a general way of the world that when we teach our kids, we, we teach them to love the things that we love. Uh, there is a, a reasonable hope. There is a, a God-based hope that this will, this will happen. But it's not a formula. It's not a promise exactly that same way. And so we see here, I think, with Samuel's kids that, that there's agency on the part of those kids. They're responsible. When they got away from their parents, when they're down in Beersheba and they're away from Ramah, they're making their choices. They're perverting justice. They're moving in that way. All that to say is we, we need to pray for our kids. We need to do our very best to teach them to love the Word of God. But in the end, we, we sometimes have to say, you make your own choices. You know, we hold our hands open and we say, you've got to walk with the Lord now. You, you can no longer depend on me as your parents. So for young people, for parents, just thinking about those, uh, this situation. Two things, though, jump out for us. Got to look at my time and figure this out in my mind. We're in a different schedule now. How much time I have? Uh, we're not almost done or late, <laughs> which is what I normally would be thinking. Um, two things uh, jump out as the right longings here. First is this longing for justice. You know, the fact that the leaders are, are leading unjustly, this is, this is a problem for any nation. Uh, especially for a nation that identifies Yahweh as its Lord. Uh, and, and so the people cry out to the Lord. They, they, they want justice in their leadership, and, and this is a right longing. Uh, it's even a right longing for them to ask for a king. So one of the things we have to wrestle with in this particular passage is their request for a king you know, Yahweh says to Samuel, 
They're not rejecting you as their judge, but they're rejecting me as their king. Uh, it's, It's not the fact that they ask for a king that is wrong. It's their motives behind it, and we're going to see that in just a minute. Uh, But just to establish the fact that a king is not wrong, think about what you know about Israel's history. Remember when when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and and he makes his promises to him, he says, your your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sands and the seashore, the stars and the heavens, and from your loins are going to come kings. Uh, he, he acknowledges that, that kings are a part of the plan. We see that when Jacob blesses Judah and he says the scepter will never depart from Judah. Uh, we, we see it in Hannah's song in, in chapter 2. This song, which is clearly Holy Spirit inspired, you know, talks about the anointing of a king. When we go back to Deuteronomy 17, when God was giving the law as the people were about to cross into the land, he says at that point that there is going to come a time when you ask for a king. And he says that that is okay, but this is the way that the king is supposed to do. He's not supposed to be a foreigner. He must not acquire many horses for himself. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord by his keeping all of the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. So kingship in and of itself is not bad. In fact, it's a good thing. Because a king, like a prophet or a priest, uh, reveals to us an aspect of who God is. Uh, it reveals to us uh, the, the, the lordship, the, the ruling aspect of who God is. It reveals to us uh, the fact that he defends and defeats uh, all his and our enemies. Uh, this, is, this is what a king is supposed to do. Uh, especially in a covenantal system, which we see throughout the Scriptures, is, is the king is supposed to reveal to us more of who God is and help us in our relationship to Him. Uh, this is why the, the emphasis is on the king has the law of God. And that is how he rules, and that is how he reigns. It's by utilizing the law of God, which he keeps close to him. So a king is not bad in itself, but the king is bad, you know, by itself, or the king is bad when it becomes the thing. And this is really the second thing that we want to observe here. The first two points kind of go together, and we'll, we'll draw them the, the motives that the people of Israel have for asking for a king, it's not that they wanted somebody to represent God to them. They wanted somebody to replace God. 
They wanted somebody who, uh, who could be essentially their God. And, and this we know because we see Samuel, who is righteous, and we see his reaction to this. The thing displeased them, or displeased him, verse 6, what they asked. And then in verse 7, you know, God says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you as a judge, but they are rejecting me. So what we understand is that the, the request is coming from a desire to have something objective, and we're told then in verses 19 and 20, to both judge them and to lead them into battle. Uh, they, they want, it's actually very similar to chapter 4. So in chapter 4, they wanted to go into battle, and they wanted a talisman to lead them into battle, and so they went and they got the Ark of the Covenant. So they didn't, they didn't want God necessarily to lead them into battle, but they transferred you know, their, their thought of God to the, the thing that was supposed to represent God. See, they're going just backwards. You know, rather than the Ark representing God, the Ark became the thing. And this is exactly what's going on here again, now two generations later, as they're saying, we don't want a king who can represent God to us, but essentially we want the king to be the thing, to be the God, to be the God substitute, the thing that we can see, the thing that we can trust, the thing that will uh, bring us a, a sense of security. It's a very similar situation to Exodus chapter 32, and that's why Yahweh says, listen, Israel has been doing this from the beginning. <laughs> you know, from the very moment that I led them out of Egypt, so a hundred days into that journey, what do they say? We want a God that we can see. We, we want this golden calf that they build in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, we want something that doesn't even point us to it. It's the thing that we give our worship to. And this is the heart that God wants us to see, where we, we take these good longings. We take the longings for, uh, for a mediator, somebody who can point us to God, reveal God. We take these longings for uh, justice, security, all of these things, and we put them on created things a calf, an ark, a king. Uh, and we make those things try to carry the water that only God is supposed to carry. Does that make sense? Because uh, we, we still stand in this pattern, and, and we do it all the time. I mean, we, we do it with our own political leaders. Uh, we, we want those people, rather than God, to, to be the things that makes security and makes justice and, and all of these things. And, and we transfer that hope, that faith that we should have in Yahweh alone, and we, we transfer it to a person. And it's why we're so often disappointed when we find that people fail. We do it not only in our political leaders, but we do it in our religious leaders. Uh, we do it with our, our finances, you know, our 401ks. You know, God is the one who is going to secure our future, but we look at our balances going wildly up and down in those things, and we, we, we sort of, you know, it's the bellwether for how we feel. 
You know, we, we, we move our allegiances to our actual friends, you know, to fill our needs for loneliness. Uh, that's, a, that's a good longing to, to be loved and to have a friend, to have a spouse, you know, all of those different things. But when we put it on people rather than ultimately on God, yeah, that's where we get into trouble. Uh, and, and this is what God is saying, Israel's doing it again. They're rejecting me as their Lord, as their defender, as their friend, as the one who can ultimately fulfill their deepest longings, and they're placing it on a God substitute. Now, why is Israel doing this? Well, I mean, part of it is just you know, it's kind of the way our hearts go. We're, we're slippery like that. I mean, we may really love the Lord, but it's, it's hard. And part of the reason why it's hard is we look around at everybody else. And that's what shows up in this passage here, you know, two times. I think it's in verse 5, and then again in verses 19 and 20, Israel says, we want to be like the other nations. That's never really good, right? <laughs> you know, particularly when the other nations are, are pagan idolaters. Uh, and they, they are clearly not walking with the Lord, but we say, we want to be like them. And, and, and that's part of the place where the Scriptures read us, because we recognize that that's really easy for us to do, whether it's follow your passions you know, we want to be like the other nations. We want, to, we want to have the success and the influence, and we want to have the financial stability and security and the picket fence and all of the different things like the other nations. We don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be peculiar. But yet, you know, this is one of the things that Yahweh has said about us. You know, we are His treasured possession. We're a peculiar people. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, three arms and two heads and, you know, strange that way. But there is an aspect that following God is going to make you uh, stand out from the world around you and not, not, not conform. You're not going to look like all the other nations. And, and this is one of the things that's really hard for us. You know, when we think about how do we spend our money, when we think about, uh, you know, what, is our, what do our entertainment choices look like? When we think about, you know, how do we spend our time? What do we do in retirement? All of these different things you know, do we, do we look like the nations around us? And we just really have to wrestle with that uh, and understand what, what God is, is warning us about here and, and the, the missteps that Israel was taking at this time. So again, it's not that a king was bad in itself, but their motives, their motives to make the king the, same, the thing, their motives to be like all the other nations. Um, some of you know, I mean, the, so many tributes this past week to Tim Keller and, and his life and his ministry and just some really extraordinary things. And I think it gives us all hope when we see somebody who has had you know, such a, a position of influence in the Christian community finish well, uh, and, and there really is an encouragement to that. One of the things that 
that was uh, played this week was a, um, a video that he had recorded for Redeemer Night that was supposed to happen on May 19, which actually happened to be the day that he passed away. Uh, so, uh, it became very significant, these, you know, 13 minutes or whatever the video was. He talked a couple at the beginning about Redeemer and, and their ministry and the influence in New York and different things like that. But then the last, the last little bit, he, he gave three pieces of advice from the book of Jeremiah, and this is for, for all people. Uh, you know, thirdly, he said, I'm going to work them in reverse orders. He, he said, uh, you know, if you seek great things for yourself, don't seek them. You know, and all of these things are, are going to make you stand out and be different from the nations that are around us. So seek thou great things for yourself. Seek them not. Uh, that's what the Lord says to Baruch the scribe. Uh, and, and Keller says, you know, we need to live in that attitude. Secondly, um, he says, uh, invest, don't just consume. Uh, you know, Jeremiah buys the field. I think it's in chapter 32. Uh, he buys a field in the time of war. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, it, it's completely counterintuitive. What does it look like for us as believers to invest, not just consume? But then the first piece of advice uh, was to live on a razor's edge. I, I'm going to send you into exile, but you are to pray for the city. Uh, you are to be in, but not of uh, the place where I am sending you into exile. And that's exactly what this text is reminding us, that, that we are to live on a razor's edge. We are in the nations, but we're not to be like all the nations. We, we are to be a peculiar people, a, a people for God's own glory, a, a people that, that trusts Him in unique and wholehearted ways, uh, that, that doesn't put our confidence in princes nor for help on man depend. Uh, they shall die to dust returning, their purposes shall end. But Yahweh, Yahweh is the one that we can truly depend on. And we see that here in His gracious intervention or His gracious provisions. Uh, there are three things, and the first two are sort of non-obvious when it comes to gracious provisions. Uh, the first thing is that uh, God warns the people. We, we see that in, in verses, uh, I believe, in beginning in verse 8, yeah, verse uh, 10. You know, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways, interesting translation there, the ways is actually mishpat. Some of you know that that's the Hebrew term for justice. So the, this, will be the, this will be the justice that your king will give you. And then he goes on to list all of the ways. Did you pick up on the, the repeated word there? That the king will take, take, take take, take. Six times. You know, the king will take your sons and daughters. The, ting, king, the king will take your horses and all of these other things. And, and this is always the way that a substitute God acts. It always takes. 
It always takes. If you are serving uh, fame and notoriety, you will, you will become a slave to that thing. If you are serving money, you will become a slave to earning more money. It will never be enough. Uh, and, and that's really what God is saying, what He's warning the people. He's saying, you want in this wrong way, but you have to understand that what you're asking for is you're asking for a return to Egypt. You're asking to give up all of the freedom that I have brought into your life, and you are willing to be enslaved again. And, and so whatever it is that we put in the place of God, we have to understand that its pattern is to take, 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 and to continue to take some more. And I, I think you, you recognize, you recognize that this is the way of tyrants. This is the way of God substitutes. But the, the grace here is that God continues to warn them. He continues to give them the prophetic word. Yeah, and this is, is God's grace to us over and over and over again. We just sang about it, uh, you know, God's word that directs our paths, God's word that leads us uh, in, into broad places, pleasant places. It leads us into God's ways, God's justice. It, it's God's grace to us that He continues to give us chapters like 1 Samuel 8. Uh, that say, be careful how you walk, because I have your best interests in mind, and you don't always know what those are. And if you are insistent, like it's crazy, you know, God goes through and warns us, and the people in, in 19 say, no, we will have a king. <laughs> they are just insisting on it. God's like, it's going to be horrible. But they're like, no, we, we want the king. And this is, this is God's grace to us to warn us. The question is, will we listen? Uh, the, the question is, will, will we heed his warnings? Because the second thing, and this is the most non-obvious thing about this passage, is that God's grace is, he says, listen to them. It's interesting, you know, Samuel's the prophet. Samuel's the one that's been given the word of the Lord. You would think that the people would obey his voice. But God says to Samuel, obey their voice. Uh, give them what they want. And that's what we're going to see in the next uh, chapters. God gives them a king. Now you say, how is that God's grace to them? Well, I, I think you know as parents, you know, sometimes you just have to let the horse get the bit and the bridle in their mouth and have their head. Uh, they, they, we all have to learn on our own that the stove is hot. Uh, we, we cannot constantly, you know, be protected in our lives. And, and this is a really hard thing you know, as our kids grow and, you know, we, we let them make mistakes. There's a, there's a pain level to that, but, but that's also good parenting. And, and, and part of what God is saying here is like, listen, I, I don't want automatons. 
I, I can't control your every impulse and desire. I want you to direct your hearts to me. I want you to know from the very bottom of your heart that, that what I am offering you is good. And sometimes the only reason, the only way that you can know something is good is by experiencing the bad. And so God lets them have their own desire. And that's God's grace to them. And some of you know that. I mean, some of you have uh, had your head, so to speak, in horse language. You've, you've gone in that direction, and you've realized just how bad, how uh, destructive, how horrible your choices can be. And they lead you into really, really bad places. But it's that that helps you see how beautiful the grace of God can be. And what we see throughout this chapter is that God not only gives them a king that they long for, but eventually uh, he gives them the king that they need. Now, it's not right away. Saul's disastrous. You know, Saul, Saul is, is not the king that they need. He is the one that they long for. He's big and he's tall. He's handsome. He's good looking. He looks like a king like all the other nations, but, but he's not the one. It's, it's David, it's the one who is the youngest, who is out in the fields and uh, who has, you know, his ruddy complexion and all of this different thing. He, he's the most non-obvious king, but he's the one that is the man after God's own heart. He's the psalm singer of Israel. He's the one that knows the Lord as his shepherd. He's the king that Israel needs. And not only that, he's the king that gets us to the ultimate king, the greater son of David who sits on the throne forever, who actually reigns and rules, who has defeated all his and our enemies, who defends us, who administers the justice that we long for. He is the king who doesn't take. You know, the kings of this world will take, 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 but our king gives. You know, we think about that on Pentecost where Jesus, uh, you know, who came not in order to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This king has also ascended into heaven in order that he might give good gifts to his children. And foremost among that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, here we are this morning on, on Pentecost, aware that, that we have a relationship with God that is, is so amazing, is so incredible. He is not just reigning, you know, some distant place up in heaven where we have no communication through Him or only through a priest or an intermediary. But he has poured out his Holy Spirit on us in such a way that he takes up residence in our hearts and that we commune with him in close, personal ways. And he continues to lead us and guide us. We have a king that has given us his very life in order that we might truly understand, know, walk in His ways. He has given us gifts. He has given us His presence. And this is 
the gracious provision from our King. So where do we go? What do we do with 1 Samuel 8? You know, two things. You know, one, let it read you. You know, we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 7, you know, the path to, to experiencing the victory of the Lord is to really be honest. You remember, it was the Israelites crying out, Lord, we have sinned against you. You know, when we are really honest with ourselves and we let this Scripture read us that, yeah, this is our tendency as well, that's the place where God begins to really work with us, and that's the place where we see, we see the provision that He has. Secondly, you know, continue to seek it out. Seek out the words of the Lord. Seek out the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Seek out the finished work of Christ. And know that above anything that the other nations can offer you, what our King offers us is the purest and the best, and it's the true, true longings of our heart. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word, and we thank you for just the, the story that, that narrates so much of our own experience. And we pray that you would meet us. Holy Spirit, we are, are so mindful this morning of the fact that, that you are, are here and that you are present. And as you fell with the tongues of fire uh, so many years ago, that you continue to take up residence in our hearts and in our minds, our consciousness. You are leading us to Jesus, the High King. Lord, we pray that you would come, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that we would embrace you above all others, that we would not put our faith in anything else but solely in you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.